Palm Sunday 2018. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 44. If you would, stand for reading of the Word of God. We honor God by standing when we read His Word. Verse 28, when he had said this, he went on ahead going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. Loose it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, Why are you loosing the colt? And they said, The Lord has need of him. Then they brought him to Jesus, and they threw their own clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near to the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. But he answered and said to them, I tell you, if these should keep silent, the stones would immediately cry out. Now as he drew near, he saw the city and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace. But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when their enemies will build an embankment around you surround you and close you on on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground, and they will not leave one stone upon another because you did not know the time of your visitation. This is the word of God. Please be seated. Palm Sunday, 2018. Why did Jesus come? And I can tell you unequivocally, Jesus came to save us from our sins. It is just that simple. Luke chapter 19, verse 10 says this, The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Now, who are lost? All humans outside of Jesus Christ. He came to save anyone, anybody who believe. He came to save us. God sent his only Son to the earth to save humanity from the sin curse that was passed on to all mankind because of Adam's rebellion in the garden. Remember, Adam and Eve were the only perfect humans created. Before the fall, they were perfect. They were made in the image of God, the Imago Dei. They were perfect before God, the only perfect ones. Their time of testing, they failed the test. They ate of the fruit of the knowledge of the tree of good and evil, and sin came into God's creation, and it brought sin and death and separation. They were created perfect and now tainted by sin. Romans 5.12 says this, Therefore, just as through one man sin entered the world, and death through sin, and death passed upon all men, because all men have sinned. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God, Romans 3.23, resulting in the need for a sin bearer. Remember, any sin is egregious to God. There's no gradation here with sin with God. Any sin is, is, is egregious to God. He is holy, and we are not. He cannot be in the presence of sin. Because he cannot be in the presence of sin, we are sinners, and we are doomed without a Savior. So Jesus came to save us, to seek and to save, save the lost. Now, how would this be accomplished? How would Christ save us? How He had to die for our sins. And this is called, in theological terms, the substitutionary atonement. He substituted in our place. He died when we should have died. He took our sin debt. 
He took our sin debt. God's solution to our sin problem and curse was to send his son to die as a substitute for man. Those who believe in Jesus' sacrificial death in their place will live forever. What a deal. What a deal. He does it all, and we believe. We believe. That is the greatest deal going. The virgin birth, the incarnation, is essential because sin is passed on through the seed of the man. No other great man, no other great angel, no other religious system can save you because it has no Savior. You have to have a Savior. Only a perfect man, sinless man like Adam, could redeem mankind from your sins. Enter Jesus, the last Adam, a kinsman of Adam, a kinsman redeemer. Jesus is called the last Adam, the only one qualified to save us, the last Adam. Now look at Buddhism will not do it. Why? Because there's no Savior in Buddhism. Islam will not do it. Hinduism will not do it. Any other world religion will not do it. Only Jesus Christ can save humanity from their sins. There's exclusivity with Christ. Jesus would sacrifice his life for our life. What a deal. And I can tell you, we've said, as I said it before, this is amazing love. This is John 3.16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever, whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. That is the greatest news that there is. God sent mankind a lifesaver, and that was in the form of his son. And anyone who grabs onto the son has eternal life. Now, in the Old Testament, I don't know if you know this or not, but an animal had to be sacrificed for a sinner. There had to be a blood sacrifice. There had to be a death. The animal would die in the place of the human. This happened over and over and over and over because the, the human sin would be covered for a short period of time, and then they'd sin again over and over. Jesus suffered and died once for all to eradicate man's sin death when you believe in him. So Jesus' death in our place eradicated our sin debt. However, only those who believe in him put their trust in him. That's what believe is. Put your trust in him. Commit yourself to him. Follow him. Remember, everyone that Jesus ever dealt with in Scripture, he always called to follow him. He didn't say, believe in me and go your own way and live any way you want. That is not what Jesus said. He said, follow me. And the Scripture says, become more like Jesus. We're being conformed to the likeness of Christ. Now, Jesus came to demonstrate also that he was indeed the Messiah, the the one that Israel was looking for. Jesus came to this earth, lived a perfect, sinless life, the only person to keep God's law perfectly, perfectly. And yet when he came to his own, his own received him not, John 1.11. Ultimately, the Jews rejected Jesus, the Jewish leadership, and the Jewish people rejected him. Most of earth rejects him today, by the way, just just so you know. When Jesus was rejected, it was despite him demonstrated that he was indeed the Messiah. Now, how did he do this? How did they know he was the Messiah? Many people came before Jesus and said they were the Messiah. How did Jesus do this? Well, I'll tell you, he recorded several things. One of these was seven signs that Jesus performed demonstrating that he was indeed God incarnate, God in flesh. Only God in flesh could do this. He did seven things. Changed water into wine, a miracle over nature at the Feast of Canaan. 
He healed a nobleman's son from a distance. He spoke the word, and the man was healed miles and miles away. He healed the lame man at the pool of Bethesda that was lame 38 years. He fed 5,000-plus people, plus women and children, with loaves and fishes. Now try repeating that one. Try someone repeating that one today. And then he walked on water. That's another one. Healed a blind man from birth, de declaring that he indeed is the light of the world. And he rose, raising Lazarus from the dead, that Jesus has the power over death. Power over death. The resurrect, his resurrection conquered death for each one of us. That's why Scripture says that in the end, when we are with Jesus, O oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, grave, where is your victory? There is no victory because we will not die. Our flesh might waste away here, but we will be living forever with our God, never separated from him. What a promise. He also had seven I am statements declaring that he is deity. And I don't know if you know this or not, but 23 times he, he claimed to be the I am, the ego emi in the Greek. He's claiming to be, and the Jews knew this very well, that he was claiming to be Yahweh of the Old Testament. It went right back to Exodus chapter 3, verse 2, when the angel of the Lord spoke to Moses in the burning bush. And Moses, he had his commission, and in Exodus 3, 14, that commission was to go tell Pharaoh that I want my people to be set free. And Moses says, who do I say that you are? And God says to him, I am who I am. And Jesus said he was the I am. And in case you didn't know, understand what he meant by that, the Jews knew perfectly well because they tried to kill him for saying that statement in John chapter 8. Now, John connects these, at least seven of these I am statements, these metaphors, with, with, with something in the world. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never hunger, and whoever believes in me will never thirst. What a promise from our Savior. I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but have the light of life. I am the door of the sheepfold. I am the good shepherd who gives up his life for the sheep. I am the resurrection and the life. Hear this one. I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will live even though he dies. And whoever believes in me will never die. And then he asked Martha, do you believe this? Do you believe this? question is, do we believe this? Then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father except by me. Exclusivity of Jesus. And he says, I am the vine and you are the branches. If a man remains in me and I remain in him, he will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. You must be connected to the power source. He also did three messianic miracles that in rabbinic tradition, this isn't in scripture, this is rabbinic tradition, only Messiah would do. He did three things. He healed the leper. No leper had been healed in Israel. Now, Naaman was a Syrian that was healed, but no Jewish person was healed of leprosy until Jesus came. He cast out a demon from someone who could not speak, and he healed a man blind from birth. And according, every time Jesus did one of these miracles, you know what happened? The Sanhedrin would hear about it, and the Sanhedrin would say, oh no, here he goes again. Now, we have to go from Jerusalem up to Galilee to do two things. We have to observe, and then we have to interrogate. So the first thing that they would do, the first thing they would do is go up and observe what was going on. They wouldn't ask any questions. They would just observe. Then they would bring their information back. Whoever was the scout would go back to the Sanhedrin. 
report. And if it looked like it was truly the Messiah, something that only Messiah could do, then interrogation would take place. And I don't know if you remember in John chapter 9, but the man that was blind, he was interrogated. He was interrogated. They, would just, they wouldn't just observe. They would dig in. They would ask questions and keep, keep, keep on to see if this, these were indeed true. And every single miracle Jesus did, the interrogation found it to be true. He was indeed the Messiah. Yet, yet, with all of this evidence, he was rejected. Jesus demonstrated to his kinsmen, the Jewish people, that he was the Messiah. He was rejected. But why? Why was he rejected? And it's the same reason that Jesus is rejected today. He did not do what they thought he should do. He wasn't the Jesus that they quite pictured that he should be. Even, everything was great when he fed them with the loaves and fishes. Everything was great and wonderful when he was healing them. Everything was terrific when he was, when, when he was casting out the demons. They wanted the kingdom to be established, and they wanted it established right now. They wanted freedom from Rome, the Roman oppression. What did they miss? They missed God's plan. Messiah would come in two ways. He came the first time as the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And he will come the second time as the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. He will not come as the Sunday school Jesus. More on that in just a second. There's nothing new under the sun, folks. Jesus is rejected today because he doesn't do exactly what people think he should do. Mankind needed a Savior before they could have their king and live in his kingdom forever. What is Palm Sunday all about? Palm Sunday is all about Jesus receiving his kingship. I want you to just, if you don't have to do this, but Zechariah chapter 9, verse 9 and 10. I can get there quicker than you, and I can read it quicker than you, so please, just, just hear these words. This is giving a prophecy, a prophecy of how Jesus would come in to Jerusalem and accept his kingship. This is prophesied hundreds of years before the event, and it occurred exactly on the day that it was prophesied to happen, and in the same manner. No one can orchestrate this. This is God fulfilling prophecy. Let me read it to you. It says, Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion, talking about the nation of Israel. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. Your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation. That's what this king will do. He will provide salvation for the people. And he comes lowly, riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And that is exactly how he came in to Jerusalem. More on that in just a second. That's his first coming. His second coming, when he comes as the king of kings, he will come to bring peace to earth. So we have all these peace treaties on earth, broken. Peace treaty broken. Peace treaty broken. Oh, when the king of kings comes and establishes his government, of his kingdom there shall be no end. It will be a kingdom of peace, and he will rule with a rod of iron to make sure the peace is there. It says this, I will cut off the chariot from Ephraim uh, and the horse from Jerusalem. These are, these are war animals. No more of that. The battle bow shall be cut off. No more of that. He will speak 
peace to the nations. His dominion shall be from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. The Messiah, when he comes, when Jesus comes again the second time, it will be a kingdom established. His millennial kingdom will be a kingdom of peace. Of his kingdom, there shall be no end. Now, what is Palm Sunday all about? What is it all about? Jesus receives his kingship. So, on Palm Sunday, Zechariah's first part of the prophecy was fulfilled. Jesus entered Jerusalem on a donkey, a servant's animal, not on a horse, which is the victor's animal. He'll come soon on a horse, but not, not, not then, not the first time. He did not come as a conquering king. He did not come to be served, but to serve and give himself a ransom for many. That's why he came. But when he comes again, he will come on a white horse. And I can tell you that that time is coming closer and closer and closer. When you study Bible prophecy, we are living in the time when Jesus could come back. Every generation before us did not meet the criteria. We are the only generation from us on that meet the criteria. Why? The nation of Israel has been in their land. In May, 5th, May 14, 1948, the nation of Israel was established. And they will never leave that land. They are never going to be kicked out. God is going to protect them. Even when the Antichrist comes against them, God will protect them, and he will come back and rescue them at the very last second. That's a whole different talk. But when Jesus comes back, we see what he's going to be like in Revelation chapter 9, verse 11 and 12. He's going to come on a white horse. That's, that is a king's horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And he judges and makes war. His eyes were like a flame of fire. But this isn't the the Sunday school Jesus that we hear about. Jesus is just about love. And he is about love. He came because he loves us. He died because he loves us. But those who reject him, he will deal with. Watch what it says here. His eyes were like a flame of fire. His head had many crowns on them, or diadems, or king's crowns. He had a name written that no one knew except himself. He was clothed in a robe dipped in blood. These are the blood of his enemies. When he comes back, Earth will be in rebellion against him. He'll put it down. His name is called the Word of God, and the armies in heaven clothed in fine linen. By the way, that would be us coming with them. You know what we're going to be doing? Get him Jesus. Go. Oh, we're not going to be doing the fighting. He's going to be doing the fighting. He's going to be going before us. And we follow him on a white horse. Now out of his mouth goes a sharp sword, that with it he should strike the nations, and he himself will rule with a rod of iron. There will be no mamsy-pamsy government. When Jesus is reigning, it will be with a rod of iron. He himself treads the winepress of the fierceness and wrath of Almighty God. And he has on his robe and on his thigh a name written, and hear this, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. There will never be another ruling king on earth when Jesus comes. Remember Isaiah chapter 9, or Isaiah chapter 9, of his kingdom there shall be no end. There will be no other king reigning. Jesus' kingdom will be established soon, folks. That is a fact. That is a fact. Now, what is Palm Sunday all about? Jesus received his kingship. We pick up the narrative in Luke chapter 19, verse 28 through 34. Hear these words. And when he had said this, he went ahead, going up to Jerusalem. And it came to pass when he drew near to Bethphage and Bethany at the mountain called Olivet, that he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go into the village opposite you, where as you enter you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever sat. 
Loose it, bring it here, and if anyone asks you, why are you loosing it? Thus you shall say to him, because the Lord has need of it. So those who were sent went their way and found it just as he had said to them. But as they were loosing the colt, the owners of it said to them, why are you loosing the colt? And they said, the Lord has need of him. Exactly what they said. Now, I want to just share a few things with you. First of all, you want to realize that for thousands of years, the Jewish people had been sacrificing on Passover a lamb. And all the time they're sacrificing this lamb as the Passover lamb, it's a picture of the Lord Jesus. The Passover lamb would come from Bethany into Jerusalem. And all the people are lining the road as the Passover lamb comes through. This year happened to be a sabbatical year, which is a special Passover year. So the town was even more crowded than normal. There's a million people in this town, thereabouts. And the Passover lamb comes through, and then Jesus follows the Passover lamb on the donkey. This thing of releasing this colt is an amazing thing. The guys go, the two guys go, take the colt. The guy says, where are you going? You're stealing my colt. And then he says this exact words, Jesus says, the Lord has need of him. Whoa, okay, let it go. Okay, this is a Jesus thing. He is omniscient. He is all-knowing. He is God. And he has this thing all orchestrated. He is the one in control. Now think about this. The town is packed. This is a sabbatical Passover once every seven years. The Passover lamb, again, comes from Bethany. That This is the type. The lamb is the type. When, the scripture, when we talk about the anti-type, that is the real deal. So Jesus, Jesus, our Passover lamb, comes from Bethany, and he fulfills the type. He is the anti-type. He is the real thing. Jesus enters Jerusalem on a colt no one has ever ridden. Now, by the way, a colt that no one has ever ridden, Jesus sits on, and what does a colt that's never ridden normally do? Whoa, okay, this doesn't happen. Why? Because the creator of the colt is sitting on the colt, saying, hey, just be easy, little colt. You're carrying the creator of the universe. This is a fulfillment of Zechariah 9, 9, and 10. Now, the stage is set for Jesus to receive his kingship. Everything is orchestrated by God, fulfilled perfectly by Jesus. This cannot happen by happenstance. This is not coincidence. This is not manipulation. This is God decreeing that this will happen, and it happens as decreed, as prophesied, exactly and precisely. Verse 35 through 38, Jesus will receive his kingship. Prior to this, they tried to make him king. What do you say? It's not my time. But now it's his time. Now he receives his kingship. Listen to the word usage. Then they brought him to Jesus, the colt to Jesus, and they threw their clothes on the colt, and they set Jesus on him, omnipotent God sitting on the colt, no bucking. And as he went, many spread their clothes on the road. Then as he was now drawing near the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory in the highest. This is part of the Hallel, Psalm 113 through 118, that is said at the time the Passover lamb is being sacrificed. These people know exactly what's going on. This is the Lamb of God who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. 
Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. Now let's develop this just a little bit. So the people place their own clothes on the colt, just like they did for King Jehu in the Old Testament. This is a recognizing of the people that this is our king. This is our king. The people spread palm branches on the road, reserved only for royalty and kings. The multitude follow him with loud voices, praising God for his mighty works. What they saw Messiah do. Uh, He did not do these things in secret. He did not do these miracles in secret. He did it right out in public, right in front of the Pharisees, right in front of all the opposition that could possibly come at him. And he did these things, and everyone saw it. And these people knew that this guy is somebody different than all these other phony messiahs that were coming in the past. He is the real deal. Blessed is the king who comes in the name of the Lord. The excitement is palpable. Palpable. They think their king is going to establish their kingdom now. That's what they wanted. Mark adds this word, Hosanna. Hosanna. You know what that means? Save now, Jesus. Save us now from this Roman oppression. Save us. I want you to note something else here. Daniel records an event that is absolutely phenomenal. In Daniel chapter 9, verse 24 to 26, we see a prophecy fulfilled on this day. Now, if you would, turn to Daniel chapter 9. It'll be worth your journey. I don't have a lot of time to go deeply into this, but we will cover it in enough depth that at least you'll have some working knowledge of it. Daniel is a prophet. He has been in Babylonian captivity. He has dreams and visions from God. He's praying in in chapter 9, verse 20. Gabriel, the the, the angel, comes and appears to him, and he says in verse 22, and he informed me and talked with me and said, O Daniel, I have now come forth to give you skill to understand. At the beginning of your supplications, the command went out, and I have come to tell you, you are greatly beloved. Now let that word sink in for a second. God saw Daniel as greatly beloved. John the Apostle is also called the Beloved. But you know who else is called the Beloved? The church. Everyone that believes that Jesus Christ is their Savior are called Beloved by God. And then he gives this vision, the understanding of the vision. Seventy weeks are determined for your people and for your holy city. Now these are seventy sevens. This is 490 years that have been decreed for the people of Israel, for the nation of Israel. Had they believed that their Messiah was coming in 490 years, this whole thing would have been done. Now notice what it goes on to say. What what are these 490 years given for? To finish the transgression. These are focusing on the three major sins that Israel had. To finish the transgression. The national, they've rejected God, they've rejected God, and they ultimately will reject the Messiah. To make an end of sins, those are the daily sins, and to make reconciliation for iniquity. Well, who brings reconciliation to all humanity for the iniquity that they've they've committed? Jesus on the cross. Jesus on the cross. To bring in everlasting righteousness. That is what Jesus does. His millennial reign will be the beginning of of, of his kingdom rule. To seal up vision and prophecy. You won't need it anymore in the millennium because he's here and to anoint the most holy place. That'll be the, that'll be the millennial temple spoken of in Ezekiel. Now, 
This is where you have to really listen. Really listen. Know, therefore, and understand. Daniel, know this. This is going to be precise. That from the going forth of the command to restore and build Jerusalem. So that is setting the time. This is a start time. Boom. Clock is starting. When you see this, Daniel, the 490 years start. Boom. Start your clock. Until, so to restore and build Jerusalem until Messiah the Prince, Nagid, can often be translated as king. There will be seven weeks and 62 weeks. There will be 69 week years, or if you multiply that out, it will be 483 years. Now, what starts the clock? It is when Nehemiah starts building the wall in Jerusalem. That started in 445 B.C. The street shall be built again because it's been neglected. Even in troublesome time, Nehemiah is going to have a hassle doing that, but it's going to happen. And after the 62 weeks, and then there's a plus seven weeks that's not indicated in the Scripture. After 69 week years, Messiah shall be cut off, or he will be executed, but not for himself. And the people of the prince who is to come shall destroy the city. Now, the people who destroy the city are Rome. Titus and his armies destroy Rome. But this is also has a secondary meaning of an antichrist that will come. An antichrist that will come. Shall destroy the city and the sanctuary, and the end shall be with a flood or with armies coming. Now, let's review this. Let's review this again. Key points to remember. The 70 week years are 490 years. They were determined for the holy people, Israel and the city of Jerusalem. At the 69th week, 483 years, Messiah was cut off. He was crucified. He was rejected by the Jewish people. They said, we don't want you. No matter what the evidence was, we don't want you. And a time stopped for them. Time stopped for the Jews. The time between the 69th and the 70th week is called the church age. The church age. It is also a continuation of something called the time of the Gentiles. Now, the time of the Gentiles extends really from Babylonian captivity all the way to the second coming of Christ. And the time of the Gentiles simply means that the Gentiles will be ruling over or trampling down Jerusalem until Messiah comes. Now, the Jews have part of Jerusalem now, a fourth, but they don't have the whole thing. There are still Gentiles trampling Jerusalem. That city won't be free of all Gentiles until Messiah comes back, until he comes back. So the time of the Gentiles is from Babylonian captivity in 586 B.C. to the second coming of Messiah. Luke 21, 24 says this, And they will fall by the edge of the sword and be led away captive into all nations. That's what happened with Babylon. That's what happened to Babylon. And they never again occupied or ruled their city themselves. They were always an occupied force. And Jerusalem will be trampled by the Gentiles until the time of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Now, the church age, the church age is between the 69th week and the 70th week, roughly a 2,000-year period of time. So there's a pause in God's timetable, a time when the Gentiles will be included in his plan of redemption. A key purpose for the church is to take out from among the Gentiles a people for his name. Acts 15, 14. 
Simon hath declared how God at the first did visit the Gentiles to take out of them a people for his name. Now, we are in the 69th week. We are in what is called the church age. This will end soon. And then we will enter a period called the 70th week, which will be the tribulation period. It'll be seven years. A 70th week will be a seven-year period of time. The 70th week of Daniel's prophecy will be fulfilled in the tribulation period when, and I believe, the church will be extricated from here. It'll be the rapture of the church will be taken out, and now God will change his focus from a worldwide church back to his chosen people, Israel. In the tribulation period, all the things happening in them will be a culminate in the Jews finally turning back to their Messiah. So, he reestablishes relationship with believing Israel when they do two things. The Jews will have to do two things, and they will finally do this. Number one, they'll recognize their national sin of rejecting Messiah. And they will. And we see in Hosea, it's actually two to three days before the end of the tribulation period that they do this. They go through the whole seven years, and two-thirds of the Jews are killed, and one-third remnant remains. That's for a different teaching at a different time. So the second thing is to, we have to plead for him to return. I don't know if you remember this, but in Matthew 23, verse 37, Jesus said these words when he was rejected. O Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the one who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. Remember, God would send prophet after prophet after prophet, and the nation would not turn back to God. How I long to gather you as a chick gather as, as a as a chick gathers as, as as your children are gathered as a as a hen gathers a chick under, under her wings. But you were not willing. See, your house has left this, uh, left you desolate. You will see me no more until you say, "Blessed is he." who comes in the name of the Lord. When they recognize, they say those words, they're recognizing that Jesus was indeed the Messiah. And he will not return until they say those words. That's national Israel. The hearts of the people return back to their Savior. Again, Nehemiah started this time clock. And you know from the going forth of building the wall that Nehemiah did until Jesus entered Jerusalem to accept his kingship. There are 173,880 days, 483 years, and it happened right at the exact moment. That is a prophecy that is incredible. It is an incredible, accurate prophecy. It is an amazing prophecy. On Palm Sunday, when Jesus enters in, the town is jubilant. They are excited that their Messiah has come and their king has come. But notice what happens in verse 39 through 40. Whenever there's a work of the Spirit, there's always going to be opposition. There's always going to be opposition. When you make a move towards God, always expect the enemy to try to drag you back to the old pit that you were drug out of. There's always going to be opposition, 39 and 40. And some of the Pharisees, these are the religious leaders, called to him from the crowd, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He's not a king, he's not a savior. But he answered and said to them, I tell you that if these should keep silent, 
the stones would immediately cry out. The religious leaders rebuke, you're not a king, you're not a king, you're not the Messiah. And he says, if they keep silent, the stones will cry out. What, what is the whole creation longing for? It's redemption. We see in Romans chapter 8, verse 22, that the, 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 the whole creation is groaning for its redemption. Everything is waiting to be made right. All of creation was tainted by the sin curse. And please note this, the people are exuberant, exuberant, they are joyful, they are absolutely beside themselves on this day. And in one week, this same group of people are crying, crucify him. Crucify him. He's not our Savior. Why? Because he didn't do exactly what they thought he should do. All through history, folks, the majority have opposed the real Jesus and his ways. It's always been that way. All world religions and all cults deny the real Jesus, the deity of Christ. There will only be a few, there will only be a remnant, a few, a remnant is a few that will believe. Hear what Matthew, what was recorded in Matthew chapter 7, verse 13 and 14, when Jesus said this, Enter by the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many go in by it. And narrow is the, is the gate, and difficult is the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. Jesus is the only way. That is why it is always looked at as narrow. It's not narrow. Jesus is all-encompassing. He is all-welcoming to all the world. It is narrow because people want to choose their own way. Their own way. There will always be opposition to the Jesus-only message. We can expect this. We'll be called narrow, intolerant, arrogant, and we will be hated because we believe that Jesus Christ is the answer. That is the truth. Verse 41 through 44, I want you to note the heart of Jesus. The heart of Jesus. He weeps over those who reject him. This is, breaks his heart. It breaks his heart over those who, who say no to him. Watch what he says. Now as he drew near, he saw the city, and he wept over it, saying, If you had known, even you, especially in this your day, the things that make for your peace, oh, but now they are hidden from your eyes. And he knows what's going to happen to the city because they rejected him. For the days will come upon you when enemies will, be, will build an embankment around you, surround you and close you on every side, and level you and your children within you to the ground. And they will not leave in you one stone upon another. Why? Because you did not know the time of your visitation. Jesus wept. Why did Jesus weep? They missed the time of their visitation. He said, I am the Messiah. Believe in me. Jesus tells the people, he tells those who reject him, they, their beloved city will be destroyed and their children in it. It's a tragedy. It's a tragedy as he wept over the city. And that wept, he wailed over the city. He was crying profusely. His heart was broken as these people demanded their own way and their own ruler. Verse 41, if you had known, even you especially then this your day, the things that make for your peace, but now they are hidden from your eyes. They are blinded. Why? Because they rejected the light that they had. They said no, no, no to Jesus. They rejected the myriad of signs, the, 
and, and miracles and messianic miracles. There was even John the Baptist, who when he was in jail, questioned, are you really the Messiah, Jesus? If you're the Messiah, you are supposed to set the captives free. By the way, I'm a captive. I'm a captive. They're going to lop off my head. Okay. You know what Jesus says? Jesus answered and said in Matthew chapter 11, Go tell John these things. The blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised up, the poor have the gospel preached to them. Jesus is telling John, I am Messiah. I am the one that Isaiah was talking about here. I am the one that truly is the Messiah. Jesus tells those who reject him that their city will be, be destroyed. Their city will be destroyed because they did not know the time of their visitation. Look, Paul says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, he says, Behold, now is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. When Christ comes to you, he is the initiator of salvation. We don't seek God. This whole seeker thing is, is, a, is false. God seeks men and women. It is a move of God. It is not us that does this thing. He saves us. He rescues us. Jesus holds us as people. He holds these people particularly responsible for the scriptures, for the prophecies. That's why we study prophecy. Knowing what he expects of his people. Knowing the time of your visitation. God comes and he comes and he comes and says, I am here. I love you. Turn and live. Over and over and over. And people say, no. They give him a straight arm. No. You're not quite what I want. Not now. Ever heard this one? Not now. I have to do my thing first. Not now. Oh, I've heard all kinds of things. Many. I'll leave it there. He holds him responsible. When a person rejects Christ, what are they they rejecting? They're rejecting everything that the Godhead has to put at them. The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. The witness of the Holy Spirit that convicts the world of sin, righteousness, and judgment. In John 16, 8, they are missing the witness of the Son. They are rejecting the witness of the Son who lived and died and washed us from our sins, Revelation 1, 5. And they are, witness, they, are, they, are, they are rejecting the witness of the Father who sent the Son to be the Savior of the world, 1 John 4, 14. The consequence of, of the Jews rejecting their Messiah was complete destruction. All they held dear, their city, their temple, and their children were killed. And, there, and, and historians say that there were up to one million Jews that died in the siege of Jerusalem. When Titus's army surrounded, when the Roman legions surrounded the city, the attackers breached the walls in Jerusalem and ransacked the city, burned the temple, the gold was coming out, and they tore, the, tore all the stones down. When you go to Jerusalem, all those stones are being torn down to get to the gold. And it happened just like Jesus prophesied in 70 A.D. It happened. One million Jews because they rejected their Messiah. You know what the state of the nation was? Scripture tells us what the state of the people were. The state of the nation was this. In Micah chapter 3, verse 10 and 12. There was violence in the streets. Crime was rampant. There was corruption at all levels of government. The priests teach for pay. The prophets divine for money. Yet they lean on the Lord and say, is not the Lord amongst us? So they were kind of, they wanted God, but they didn't want God. They wanted God, but they wanted the world more. 
That's what they're saying. They, they had a form of religion, but denying the power thereof. Their prophets, priests, and kings were all compromised. You know what God says? Therefore, because of you, verse 12, Zion will be plowed like a field, Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins, and the mountain of the temple like the bare hills of the forest. In 70 AD, Jesus was rejected, and this happened. The judicial system was corrupt. The leadership of the country was corrupt. The religious system was corrupt, and its priest. Does that sound familiar to you at all? Our courts, our leadership, and our religious system have abandoned God in this country, and we are living out the consequences. America has rejected God. I don't know if you know that or not. It has rejected God and has embraced all other kinds of gods. That is what has happened. Our government, our judicial system, our churches are compromised. What have we reaped from this? Just a little review. The slaughter of unborn babies. Marriage has been desecrated with gay marriage. There's, not, there's no such thing as gay marriage, folks. It is not what God has ordained. He is the one that ordains marriage, not humans. Our government is more and more corrupt at every level. There's a new scandal every day. It doesn't matter if you're a Democrat or Republican or who you are. The scandals are just proliferous. Our churches are corrupt. They're abandoning God's word for feel-good, prosperity, health and wealth messages that everybody just loves to have their ears tickled in order to build numbers. Our families have been torn apart by divorce and abandonment of fathers, and it happens in the church. Our country has kicked God out of the public domain. We do not want you in our government. We do not want you in our schools. We do not want you in our workplace. Stay in your little corner, God. Stay in your little corner and leave us alone. This is the world's cry. Our people, young and old, it isn't just the young that are being indoctrinated. It is a whole culture that's being indoctrinated into a worldview that is anti-God and pro-man. Humanism is the world's battle cry. Globalism is the way to accomplish this. And I can tell you from the Word of God that this is a setup for the Antichrist becoming the one world ruler. Today, most have not recognized the time of their visitation. And Jesus weeps. Jesus weeps. On the Sunday before his death, Jesus began his trip to Jerusalem knowing that soon he would lay down his life for the sins of the world. Jesus knew that he came to die. It was decreed by God that the Son would die for the sins of the world. It was decreed. The Son would pay for the sins of the world. The very people that embraced Jesus riding into Jerusalem placed palm branches on the ground, reserved for royalty, exclaimed him to be blessed as the king who comes in the name of the Lord, when in a few days cry out, crucify him rejected because he did not measure up to their expectations. Folks, Palm Sunday is a prelude to the cross. Now listen to this statement. The cross is the point in time where God intersects with sinful man and makes a way for believers to be right with him and to live with him forever. On Palm Sunday, Jesus recognized his kingship, though he was led as a lamb to the slaughter. Before Pilate, listen to this statement. Pilate asked this question during his interrogation about being a king. And Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would come and fight in John 18, 36. Then Pilate asked him this question, are you a king then? And Jesus answers this and says, says this, 
you say rightly that I am a king. And he finishes this dialogue with everyone who is of the truth hears my voice. Hears my voice. John 10, 27, Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Folks, there is a kingdom coming, and it's coming soon. Jesus will return to assume his rightly place as King of kings and Lord of lords. Be ready. Be ready. The ruler of this world, all who believe in him, will have a role to play in his kingdom. Everyone of the truth hears his voice. Jesus' desire is for you to hear the truth, to believe the truth, to receive the truth, and be part of his coming kingdom, be part of his family. God's cry to humanity is come. Come and receive. Come and believe. Come and experience life as a follower, a servant of the coming king. Come while you can. He is the one that saves you. He is the one that takes the blinders off your eyes. He is the one that changes a hard heart into a soft heart. He is the one that touches you in a talk like this and says, this is real. This is real. This is your time. That's what he's saying. Do not miss the time of your visitation. Believe in the Son of God who takes away the sin of the world, and you can be saved. God is, wants you in his family, his desire that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. That is his heart for humanity. Believe in the Son, and you will be glad you did. Jesus is our King. On Palm Sunday, Jesus receives his kingship, and our King came knowing that he would lay down his life for each one of us. Next week, our King will die for us the greatest day in history, the Resurrection Sunday, the resurrection of our Lord Jesus Christ. No other day is greater. No other day is greater. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this time. Thank you for allowing us to study this truth about Jesus receiving his kingship. Thank you for the prophecies that were fulfilled. He came on the colt, on the foal, a donkey, just as Zechariah said. He came in at the exact day and moment, as Daniel's prophecy said. 173,880 days. He couldn't come the day before, the year before, the month. It had to be exactly on the day, and he came. We thank you that the Lord Jesus died for our sins and his desire that all of us believe and receive the gift of salvation. So, Lord, right now I ask you to search the hearts of each person in this place. If someone does not know you as their Savior, I pray today will be the day when they say, yes, I believe in you, Jesus. I believe you died for me, and I receive the gift of salvation that you have promised all of those who will simply believe that you died in their place. And Lord, I will follow you all the days of my life. I commit myself to you. I repent, turn from my old ways, and I turn towards you. I pray that happens to everybody in this room, or has happened, and that we will live with fervor for our King, for he is coming, and he is coming soon. There will be a time when every knee shall bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. May you do it willingly 
as his servant, as his child, as his family member. Thank you, Lord, for this time to study your word, the truth, the word of God. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen.